Welcome to another session of On The Couch with myself, Henry Jennings. And as usual, we've got another really high quality guest to entertain and inform you and educate you today on a subject which I know is close to a lot of people's hearts and something that we've been asked about a lot on the newsletter and through email and through the Facebook group as well. So I'm really happy to have Sarah Allen here from ETF Securities, who's going to talk about ETFs, everything you ever needed to know and were afraid to ask about ETFs. Just before I do, though, just remind everybody that this is general advice only. So please do your own research. Contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas, or insights in this podcast. And if you need to, please speak to a financial advisor about any of these products because it can be a little dangerous. Any financial product can be a little dangerous in the wrong hands. So welcome, Sarah. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the virtual couch. It's really nice to talk to industry professionals. First of all, let's just um, discuss... Uh, what what is an ETF? Give us a little bit of a history of uh, ETF securities, who you work for. And I guess you, you've been there for, what, uh, 10 years or so? Uh, so I actually joined ETF Securities in December last year, BT before that. Uh, That's Joined right. as their head of content. It's been a fantastic journey for me, starting with them. They're a great business to work for. So ETF Securities started in 2003. The second oldest right. ETF provider in Australia. But probably what they're best known for is we actually launched the first gold-backed ETF in the world, and it still trades. So that's the right. ETFS physical gold, trading as mm-hmm. gold, funnily enough, is its ticker code. So it's quite they have great code. codes, don't they? Oh, yeah. The codes are fascinating. So we have one that's got yeah. a code called QR. Um, there's another called Tech. I mean, even Fang, they're, they're really quite cool ticker codes. Yeah, they are good. They are good. I've got to say, you know, you know exactly what they do. There's, one, I think, there's one drug, and there's a food one, and there's a hack one for cybersecurity. So they got, they got some cool codes. So sorry, yes, carry on. Uh, so to answer your question on what are ETFs, basically it's a basket of assets that you can trade on the stock exchange, just like a share. So it's across asset classes, regions, sectors, themes. You can have ETFs that are just on equities or on commodities, fixed interest, all sorts of things. They're open-ended, so you're effectively buying a unit in a fund, but you're trading it on the stock exchange. So it's a bit different to buying a share where you own the share. You're owning a unit, which gives you access to maybe hundreds of shares. It's funny because uh, when when you when we certainly get questions about ETFs, they tend to, to always go towards the, uh, the iShares or the beta shares, uh, products, the bears, the BBOZs, or the or the or those sorts of products. What uh, what's your kind of range that you've got at ETF Securities, and what makes you a little bit different, I guess, from from those uh, providers of uh, iShares or uh, or Beta Shares? Well, some of our products are probably a bit similar to Beta Shares. What makes us different to say an iShares is that you won't find many straight vanilla indexes with us. Ours tend to be a bit more niche. So you'll find some smart beta style ETFs, usually in the equities front or commodities. They're a bit more unusual. So intelligent solutions for your portfolios, things that are just a little bit different that you might need, but it's a different take on it. Can you can you explain what a smart beta ETF is for the, for those of us who are a bit of a dummy in this uh, in this sector? Because I'm sure we've got a, a lot of members that will be a little confused about that term. What what, what does smart beta mean? So Smart Beta, it's still index tracking, but there'll be a tailored filter on it. So, for example, it might have particular filters for quality levels, 
or it might have filter to seek out companies that are high yield or low volatility mm. and then they'll compile them that way. Or it could also mean that they use different types of weighting. So, for example, generally a vanilla index is going to be weighted based on market capitalisation. So the biggest companies have the biggest weight, the smallest companies have the smallest weight. An alternative weighting system might say all companies weighted exactly the same. So, for example, uh, if you look at our FANG ETF that has 10 stocks in it and all of them have an equal share, so it's all 10%. So when right. you have different weighting like that, it can perform a bit differently to how the market does, and that's how Smart Beta works. It's still tracking an index, but it aims to do things a little bit different. So beat the index by a little percentage. If the market's right. dropping, hopefully it's not going to drop quite as much because of a particular filter or it might perform differently because you wanted high yield and the market's only offering this but this particular index is targeting a certain level of yield above that. Right. I mean, that that, uh, that FANG one sounds fantastic because a lot of people, uh, we get asked about the, the NASDAQ one, NDQ, uh, as their sort of proxy investment in US technology. But certainly the FANG one gives you a lot more concentration, I guess, in those in those really top and big names. And I, I'd imagine the safer and more secure names as well. That, so that sounds a great product. Yeah, it's actually been an interesting product for us we launched it literally when COVID started or the lockdown <laughs> which we right. thought at the time wow what terrible planning have yeah. but not as it turns out all of those companies have actually fed into what's been needed during the COVID pandemic so mm. Amazon has just aced it yeah. during COVID pandemic they actually had to hire something like 10,000 more people to help run warehouses People have gone ballistic with online shopping. Netflix had spikes where there were a particular, uh, where lockdowns were a bit more intense overseas. Or, I mean, Facebook, obviously people have been all over social media trying to keep in touch with friends while they've been in lockdown. It's been quite interesting and cynically, I guess, in some ways benefited from the pandemic. We, we've actually yeah. served of interest because of that. It's uh, it's funny, isn't it? I I guess um, when you look back over history, and I, I was running this in the news over the, a couple of weeks ago about how war has accelerated technological advances, even even though there's tragic consequences, and you've had conflict around the globe. The Second World War and the First World War did accelerate those uh, those big advances, and here we have a and now we've got a war with uh, with a, an invisible virus, and again we're seeing that acceleration continue. Uh, with new technologies and the adoption of new technologies and the and the digitization of the economy, which has been really interesting to to behold. And we're only sort of three or four months into this as well. So who knows what the future will hold? It's, it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. It's quite extraordinary. With one of the indexes in our suite, Robo Global, we were actually speaking to them last night about what they think is going to come out of the pandemic. And they'd already been mm. speaking to us for a while about movement towards uh, battery automation or household automation, micro-fulfillment, all those sort of themes. But they're actually seeing it really start to pick up with COVID. I mm. mean, one of the stocks in the index, uh, Ocado, which is a UK-based online grocer, they're actually partnered with Coles in Australia to bring all their warehousing software and automation solutions. So I think that's going to all come to pass in the next three years. That should be up and running. But it's really interesting how quickly companies have gone, wow, this has been really tough to deal with. We need to jump on this. Mm. So, so what other cool, I mean, we've, we've talked about FANG and we've talked about the Robo uh, ETF. What other cool ETFs have you got in your suite of products that we should be looking at? I'm a personal fan of our biotech 
ETF just because ah. I think biotechnology is really interesting. It's mm. something that's it's an obvious one. People are always going to need cures and vaccines for diseases. And obviously COVID has brought it to the spotlight. You've got companies like Moderna, Gilead, locally at home, CSL, are actively trying to find a solution. This is not going to be the only pandemic we experience in our life. I suspect there's going to be other problems. We already have other diseases that, you know, we might be forgetting about at the moment, diabetes, cancer, things like that, that are constantly going to need solutions. And the interesting thing is there are all these companies that, you know, for the past 10, 20 years have been actively working on solutions and they're still working on the next level of solutions. And it's all getting more and more sophisticated the better technology gets. Mm. So that's, that's what I find quite interesting. So we've got access to US biotech sphere through our right. product. And US biotech is quite interesting because the US Food and Drugs Authority approval process is pretty much considered the premier approval process. So you find a lot of biotech companies gravitate towards the US and they've got a huge industry over there and it's the gold standard. It's it's quite interesting and it's going to grow. They've got a huge mm. investment in the space because the government over there has actually ironically invested started to invest a huge amount more in healthcare and biotech's going to benefit from that as well mm. it's one of the mega trends of our era you know a bit like you know the growth of the middle class in asia is another mega trend we're seeing robotics is a mega trend technology is a mega trend it's just one of those interesting spaces that i think is going to dominate most of our lives Yes, it does seem to be a, a, a dominant feature at the moment, that's for sure. And uh, and biotechs are really interesting. I guess from an Australian point of view as well, we've had some uh, some you know one of our well, the biggest company in in on the ASX is effectively a biotech and CSL. So um, we're, we're no slouch in the biotech uh, area either, which is which is good to see. Just wanted to ask you as well, what what's the most popular ETF you have? What 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 do the people really gravitate to in terms of your product suite? Oh, by by far, it's gold. Oh, is Frozen, it? Yeah, yeah. Gold is our absolute standout, most popular product, hands down. And the reason is, wow. gold's just very interesting. People have it in their mind as this amazing <laughs> thing as well, and that's yeah. actually because from an investment perspective, it is quite amazing. It's acted as a store of value for centuries. It, it's also quite interesting that it performs differently to other asset classes. So when your yeah. equities markets are going down, gold tends to hold firm. Sometimes it even goes up. Uh, you probably noticed in panics, people have gone into gold because they've gone, yeah. oh, my money's, my money's going. Where can I go where my money's going to stay relatively secure? And it's been gold. So that's been a really popular for one. We see it as a core part of a portfolio, but you might you might vary what amount you have. So yeah. you know, in a less volatile market, you might have a small percentage, say, you know, between two to five percent. More volatile periods, it might be ten percent, and you just weight it based on what's going on in the market and how much you need to stabilize your portfolio. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you look back in March, the March madness, when we had that big corona crash, we saw gold actually falling at the same time that equities were. And a lot of people were scratching their heads and thinking, well, isn't this supposed to be my insurance policy? Isn't this supposed to be my hedge? Yet here we are, the hedge is going down the same as the rest of the garden. But it subsequently, I guess, has bounced back. And that was really a liquidity thing, I suspect, is that people were just throwing out whatever they could to raise money to protect themselves and 
actually make margin calls, I suspect, elsewhere. So it was an interesting period, but we've seen even in the last few days of pushing up to 1800 bucks uh, an ounce in US dollar terms. So it has been a, a, a good ride for those people interested in gold stocks and and as you say gold etfs as well so one thing i was going to touch on as well because there has been and there, i don't know if it, there still is but there was a lot of media talk about the devil of etfs and passive investing and how they were going to be the unwinding of the financial world and when the when the custard hit the blades it was all going to go horribly wrong you know it was just going to exacerbate and accelerate the, the falls we got through march do you, do you think some of March was was part of that unwinding of uh, these exchange traded products, or, or was it just, or was it just good to see that they actually survived and did did what they're supposed to do in, in times of crisis to some extent? How, how did you see that playing out? So March was quite interesting, and we actually spoke to the ASX about what was happening with the ETF market. So before COVID, ETFs were about four percent of daily trade. Mm. So really a tiny amount in Australia, a bit higher in the US, so about 25% yep. of trades in the US. They ballooned out to about 10% of trades, probably at the peak of COVID wow. madness. Yeah. So yeah. that's quite a huge jump, but at the end of the day, that's still not a huge amount of market activity when you think about it. So really, mm. there's still you know 90% of the other activity volatility is coming from trades in other investment products. Interestingly, in that time, the value of ETS didn't actually drop a huge amount in March. Okay. Uh, I think I've yeah. got the numbers in front of me. I'm just going to pull them up. Yeah, so it fell from about uh, 63 bill to yeah. 59 bill, but it was still actually gaining assets at that time. So broad-based Australian equities brought in probably the bulk of the money at that point in time. So it wasn't huge, huge amount of money coming in. It, it sounds like there was probably more coming into ETFs and going out. And a lot yeah. of that was people started to see it as an opportunity and ETFs were yeah. a quick way of getting access to the market without necessarily having to do the same level of research you might have to do to pick which specific share you want to jump on to take advantage of opportunities. And yeah. actually since then, the the latest total fund for ETFs in Australia is it's back up to 63 bill again. So even with the drop in March, it's recovered pretty quickly. And as a whole, yeah, they've nice. performed the way people expect them to perform. We yeah. also had a talk to uh, NAVTRADE, Gemma Dale at NAVTRADE, about this. Oh, yeah, she's great. Quite, yeah, she's fantastic. It's quite interesting. She was saying that a lot of the new investor activity, and there's a huge amount of new investors just across the Australian market during a lot of the madness, was buy and hold activity, which is surprisingly right. because you – you expect new retail activity to be a bit panicked, jumping in, jumping out. A lot more of it was people stepping into products that they'd known about for some time and saw yeah. as a good opportunity to get in now. And they weren't selling it quickly. They were generally holding it and are still holding it. So it's quite an interesting change that we've seen in the COVID era compared to what we saw in the GFC. They're certainly fantastic products, as you say, for, for getting set quickly and make those big kind of asset decisions, asset allocation decisions, which, you know, private investors and retail investors have, have kind of, they've been a bit excluded from in some ways because trading futures or trading uh, some sort of index products is, is quite complicated and, and it does turn a lot of people off, whereas these are on one platform on the ASX, really easy to to buy and sell. 
and there is a liquidity there as well. So I think it's been a, a great success, uh, the whole ETF market. One thing I was going to touch on, it's certainly something that um, I'm an old trader and I used to you know, play around in, in these sorts of um, products, is the way the pricing works. Because with a with an ETF that is geared to the ASX 200, that's pretty easy. We all know that when the market goes up, they go up the same amount, etc. And we, we've seen some of the geared products on, on indexes as well in terms of how they perform. But it, it's much harder, I guess, to work out the, the performance and what to expect, I guess, from the, from an ETF, which is a little more, um, what do we call it, a smart beta, uh, that is a little more esoteric, I guess. How does, how does the pricing work with the underlying asset, especially when, you know, if you're trading in FANGs in Australian time on the ASX, they're not obviously trading in the US time. So how does that pricing work? Um, if, if NASDAQ or that basket goes up 2%, does the ETF go up 2%? I wonder if you could just touch on that. Yeah, so basically the pricing of the ETF should very closely match what the underlying asset is, less liabilities and obviously divided by the amount of units will give you an approximation of what the price of the ETF is. There's also the role of market makers, which keep the ETF pricing pretty much around what the value of the assets are. So just to basically explain for your audience what a market maker is, So these are effectively large-scale brokers, institutional clients, and they will trade directly with an ETF provider either by cash or transfer of the underlying assets to purchase units or redeem units in the ETF, and then they'll sell those um, by trading it on the stock exchange to retail investors. So because they're able to effectively sort of set the price, it will match as closely as possible the underlying assets because it's in the market maker's interest to keep it close to the price of the underlying assets. So that's probably a complicated way of explaining how they're priced, but effectively they should be pretty closely priced to what the underlying asset is. And if you take, say, gold for an example, the gold price uh, will match what the LBMA gold prices, spot price of gold is when you mm. translate it back to the price of the gold ETF on the ASX. Right. Well, that I guess the market makers are there to keep everybody honest. And if there is a, a discrepancy in the pricing between the underlying assets, those arbitrages and market makers step in and take advantage of that and, and ultimately close up the gap so you don't get the big discounts or even the big premiums that sometimes we see in, in the LICs that are around in the market where Sometimes I, I scratch my head and fight, you know, there's an LIC that's got huge amounts of money in cash and people are paying a premium for it. And you look at them and think, why are you paying $1.20 for a dollar's worth of assets? You, you, you're mad. I, I don't know what the, the secret source is there, whereas ETFs seem to be a far uh, better uh, bet in terms of the pricing models anyway. Now, the other thing I was going to talk about, um, because your ETFs are traded on the stock exchange, aren't they? On the ASX, mm. in the normal way that shares are. But you can also, um, they're also traded over the counter. Is that right? How does how does that work in, in practice? Yeah, so in practice, that's uh, going to a broker and getting right. a direct trade with them or a large right. institutional bank. But for most people, you're going to just use your normal trading account because that's going to be the easiest and most efficient way of doing it. Where you might use over the counter is, it's more likely to be an institutional investor because it's a scale thing for them. They might have a certain volume that they want to buy at a right. particular time rather than yep. just, you know, a small number of 
units for the portfolio right then and there. So if I want to put you know twenty million bucks worth into uh, the the robo um, automation ETF, then that's that's the sort of thing that I would be talking to a broker and you guys direct about rather than trying to buy them in the marketplace, I guess. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we don't handle them directly. We uh, we're, we'll work with brokers instead. Certainly, any uh, any broker that runs over the counter operations will probably work with us to uh, purchase those units. So it's a, I think it's a fascinating world, the whole world of ETFs, and it really has. It's been massive in the US, and and I, I think it's still very much um, gaining traction, but it's still in its infancy to some extent in Australia. But I, I find it fascinating all the. The, the slightly esoteric ones, the food, the drug, the, the robo, the hacks, etc. Where, where can we get more info about um, what you guys do and I guess the ETF space in general? Where's a good place to start? Oh, generally, I think for across the board information about ETFs, I think actually the ASX and Money Smart are a really good place to start for information. The ASX actually has some little training courses on ETFs, which are really helpful for people starting out. If you want yeah. to find more information about ETF securities in particular, our website, etfsecurities.com.au, has quite a bit of information about our ETFs and our research on our products. So some of that will be from our index providers like RoboGlobal and some of it is research that we've done ourselves and we publish on the website. So those are probably some good starting places. So, so you must have a, a team of boffins sitting in the background that are trying really hard to, uh, to dream up uh, more and more uh, ETFs, I guess, in, in terms of uh, packaging uh, baskets of stocks up or themes up or looking to the future. Is that is that the case? Are there just guys beavering away trying to come up with the next big theme, the next big thing that's going to capture everyone's imagination? Is that how it works? Well, we've got a small team, but they're all very hardworking, very well-researched team. They, they like to keep their eye on the pulse. So you'll often yeah. see notes coming around from different members of the team going, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And we have product development meetings on probably about a fortnightly basis discussing ideas and how they might work mm. and what point in time it might be good to think about that more seriously. We're actually about to launch two new products in a couple of weeks. Uh, oh, okay. Products which we're quite excited about. Uh, it'll be a far first for us. Yeah. Uh, they'll be geared products, so we're, we're quite excited about moving into that space as well. All right. Well, we're going to have to keep an eye out for those then. That's going to be quite exciting. Yeah, mid-July. Mid-July. Sarah, it's been absolutely delightful talking to you today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So thanks very much again, and uh, we'd love to have you back on the show at some stage. Maybe after you've launched the two new ones, we can, uh, we can sit down and have another chat. That'll be good. That'd be great. Thank you again for having me today. Thanks very much, Sarah. 